We need warriors, we need men, we need fathers today more than ever. Welcome to the Man of War podcast. Today, I have a special guest on board, Pete Hegseth. All right, this man here, I've been following him for a while. He speaks from the heart. More importantly, he is a patriot. Man, do we need a lot more men in our society like him. Pete, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Rafa. Appreciate it. Awesome. Listen, uh, what I want to do here is, you know, dive into who you are a little bit. First and foremost, if you can give us a, an introduction just to get a feel for those who don't know who you are. You know, I see myself first as a Christian, uh, second as an American, a husband, a father. Uh, I, I want to be a good citizen and I want to be um, a fighter for the things that truly matter in an age that is increasingly untethered from them. And it's easy to get distracted by shiny objects and I'm in the news business. Uh, and so we, we deal with those all the time. But the questions like, why are we here and what are we here to represent? And what does it all mean? And, and the, the deeper questions are ones that I think our, our educational institutions, our cultures have systematically devalued. And, and I wanna find a way to bring those alive uh, represent them, give voice to them, and fight for them. Because, you know, we're all ashes and dust. Uh, what we leave behind is a legacy and, and a next generation. And too often, too many people take for granted the absolute special nature of the time in which we live and the place in which we have the, the good fortune, a lucky lottery to have lived in. So I... I've had a chance to wear many different hats in my life, and I'd, I'd like to think that the compass I've tried to keep is fighting for the things um, that made this country great, that created Western civilization, that gave us the great ideas that we have today, uh, and just be a one, just one shoulder on the plow. You know, it has to be generations of people, but I, I'll do whatever role I can, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Awesome. And, and, you know, one of the things um, that I love about you, man, is that you speak it from the heart and, you know, you don't really uh, bullshit around. You're straight to the point. Um, and uh, I also like the fact that, you know, you, you don't shy back, you know, you don't shy down from situations that need to be spoken about. And that's very raw, uh, very different in our society where most of our media, you know, it's basically boxed into a certain culture um, and they don't want to speak outside that box, which is uh um, I think that that is a very powerful element that you carry on your shoulder, right? Well, you there. do the same thing. So what are we here for? If we're not going to speak truth and be honest and be blunt. I mean, wait, wait, I, I'm not in this to wear makeup and be on TV and, you know, hope people know my name. That's not the point. The point is we have a faith, a Republic. We have communities that are totally under siege and, and, and we're surrounded by insanity, absolute insanity. And we're told we're the ones that are insane. Uh, pick your example, pick, you know, you've got men swimming on women's swimming teams and we're told that's great as they beat everybody by 30 seconds. And then we're the weird ones when we say that there are two genders. Like, I, I just don't, it, it's not that hard. Once you untether, <laughs> once you know your, once you give up caring about whether you get invited, you know, get this Christmas card or invited to that party or, or liked by this person, which is a beautiful place to be. And you're not worried about running for some office or worried about what someone thinks about you. Uh, it's a very liberating thing. And we're wasting our time if we're not being honest. And let the, let the mob come after you. Let them come after me. Let them try. And they will. And they do every day. And that's, uh, a, but by head, hemming and hedging and hawing and couching, you only play into the game they want to play, which is make you feel ashamed to be who you are and what you represent. Amen to that. Now, question for you. You're a father with seven kids in this country. All right. So we're going to start from there, you know, guiding them down a road where, I mean, as we see, I, I mean, I'm a father also for four kids and, you know, it's tough right now with society, the way that, um, you know, they're positioned, um, how some of the school boards are acting out there. And, you know, you add and throw in, you know, the, the, the mask mandates and vaccines and all this, you know, it's a difficult time for, for young, you know, men out there in this country really to see, uh, you know, to, to kind of come out of their shell. It's almost like they're walking around really clueless of what's going on out there. And the worst part about it is that I see them, a lot of them start turning 
into sheep. They start it's a yeah. herd mentality. Everybody starts doing the same thing and following the same way. And, and it's not a good direction that I like to see. Well, know, share your thoughts on that. As you know, crises, um, inflection points, they're actually reveal real character, right? It's, it's those moments when you, whether it's in law enforcement or in combat, you, you learn who you are first and who the others are around you. And we're in the middle of one of those moments. We need warriors, we need men, we need fathers today more than ever to be the leaders that they are supposed to be. And, and that requires hard work. It requires courage. It requires fortitude in doing so. And I say that from a position of someone who's not doing it perfectly and never will. But I've never been more intentional about wanting to place on the hearts and, 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 and minds and souls of my kids core beliefs that I know otherwise they will not confront, will not be introduced to them in today's uh, godless, uh, totally untethered culture and society. So from first it's faith. I want young kids that understand who their, who their savior is and why they're fallen and why they're in need of that salvation, the responsibilities that, that come with that. And then I want them to be grateful, bold and unapologetic citizens of this republic who understand where those ideas came from. Sure, we're not perfect. We confront those sins and we try to live up to the founding ideals of our nation because we're damn lucky to be here. And you, even, even going down to you know, Christmas Day, our first Christmas Day, we had men crossing a river in Delaware from Pennsylvania to New Jersey to preserve the fact that we get this Christmas today. Like it's always been something that someone had to fight for. I want that planted inside of them. And I realize as someone who went to public school, who had wonderful parents, lived in a wonderful community, patriotic, faith-filled, everything. What we missed as, as kids our age going through is our educational systems are completely, completely captured by a progressive view of the world. Completely. In fact, I've got a Fox Nation series coming out next month, a book coming out next year effectively about the 100 year progressive takeover of our education system. Like the things that made America special just a hundred years ago were intentionally targeted by progressives, now Marxists who are just out in the open, who have, who have rejected, deconstructed, criticized everything about who we are to the point where we don't even believe in ourselves. I mean, it's, it's rebellious to be someone who is patriotic and independent thinking and a believer in free speech as a young person, as opposed to what you said, being one of the sheep or part of the herd. That's the easiest thing to do, the most comfortable thing to do. And so whether it's getting them to church, getting them into schools that I don't want to protest at school board meetings. Why am I protesting at a school board meeting to get them to do things they don't want to do when you know they're just going to be indoctrinated with nonsense? I think fathers have to be willing to radically reorient our lives around the education of our kids to include intentionally the types of schools we send them to uh, and not just Christian schools or Catholic schools or certain types of schools where God is there, but like intentional classical Christian formation in the ingredients um, that, that, that have made this country special. And then things like devices, I mean, phones, every kid wants them and they want them at younger ages and they see their friends with them. And those are just portals of deception. And, and poor, that, that, that bend their minds in ways I couldn't have been remotely prepared for when I was 10, 11, 12, 13. And we, we go along with what our neighbors do or, or people say is okay to do, or don't worry, there's a filter on that nonsense. I, I, I think it's my responsibility not to shelter my kids. I'm gonna make sure they're confronted by the evils and the realities sure. of the world and the best arguments from the other side but to guide them, mold their heart, and give them the foundation that they need to be the men and women that our republic uh, and, and, our, and our culture needs desperately more than ever today. So I, and maybe it comes with getting a little older. I don't know about for, for you, but you know, you're, it's easy to be frivolous when you're younger and the future's in front of you and your kids are really young or whatever. And I was, I, I'm as guilty as anyone of having that perspective. Uh, my oldest kid is only 11. My, I've got a blended family of, of four biological, three step work together. I mean, it's, it has not been um, a, a smooth and straightforward path, but I take um, gr the, the greatest responsibility I have is shepherding those seven in a way that is in some ways reflection of our culture, which is, you know, 
not what it was 100 years ago. And it's our job. And I think a part of that is how we were educated, the, the waters in which we swam, that we took for granted that now we're learning a lot more about and can be more intentional about confronting them. I think before there was this residue of goodness and faith and patriotism, and we could kind of count on kids to get a little bit of that. You can't count on that today. You have to, you have to forge it intentionally. That's, you know, powerful words without a doubt. You know, I think that going back even 20, maybe 30 years, you know, I don't know, we walked on earth a little bit differently. The kids, a younger generation, you know, things were a little bit more wholesome. Um, you know, back in the eighties, when I grew up, you know, things were, you know, there was some radical things like any, anything, but for the most part, things were wholesome. You know, it was, you know, books, you know, you picked up a book to read, you know, you watched a movie, uh, when we started this internet wave and, you know, now kids, every, every child at whatever age has phones, everything started to change dramatically. And you're hundred percent right. When you, when you look at it from a perspective, of a father and you're like, wow, you have all these kids with phones and they're gaining this information. Then you have conversations with them and you're like, wait, what? Like it's technology. It's a double-edged sword. It has some very powerful element, elements that have definitely, you know, taken our society uh, to a different level. But also I believe in my heart that it's brought them down to another level. So it's almost like a two spectrum, um, uh, two spectrums to this, you know, especially for mm -hmm. younger children. I mean, my, my, you know, my teenager, you know, he's talking about things and, and he's, you know, very well raised, you know, he's very much into politics. We think he'll be a judge. He loves all that. But then there's, there's aspects that, you know, when you sit down and talk to him and the things that are on social media and things, you know, it's, it's difficult to disconnect younger, you know, younger generation from that. It's, you know, it, it's almost impossible because they're going to find it one way or another. And like you said, I believe us as, as parents, you're a hundred percent on that. Uh, the reality is that we got to go out there and work hard and, and, and do our job. We don't, we can't shelter our kids. You know, yep. we, you know, we have to do our best to, to show them what life is really like, and then do the best we can as parents. Um, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, I'm going to start shifting the subject here because I could probably sit with you and have hours and hours upon, uh, you know, conversation here. But when we see our nation now, the way that it's headed, with the new administration that stepped in here. And personally for me, it's unfortunate because I knew it was gonna be bad, but it's worse than I ever expected. Where do you see our country trending here? You know, where do you, where do you think we're gonna be here over the next, you know, I hate to say 24 months, let's shoot for 12 months. I don't know, um, you know, what it, as it pertains to COVID, which has been such a big part of the last more or less two years of our life, I'm both encouraged and discouraged. I'm, I'm encouraged that you see evidence of people who say, fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, it's on, it's on me. So if, you know, asked to comply with certain things that we all did because we didn't know, I, I, I hope and pray there is a residue of people who are prepared to fight that. At the same time, I see plenty of evidence uh, around that this mentality has been baked in, that the mask is just no big deal, that a vaccine for your five-year-old is just no big deal, and it's just what everybody's doing. And, you know, you hear parents whose kids are begging to get the vaccine, and their parents are like, but you don't know what, and they're saying, well, all my friends have it, I want it. Uh, it, it so culturally, I don't think we're we're nowhere near fortified to prepare for um, the types of big government mandates that have been thrust upon us. And, and you're talking 24 months. I mean, there's some upside in 24 months. There's an election in 22, which looks like it'll be strong uh, for, for the good guys, uh, strong enough to take over at least one chamber of, of Congress, which means all the nonsense legislation that's contributing to so much of this stops. Okay, so that's good. But that, that's a bit of an emergency break. But that's that's all. Uh, otherwise, I, I, I think back often to the Lincoln quote, which is the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation becomes the philosophy of government in the next. And we are, we are living in, we are reaping what we sowed. And some of us have woken up to that and we're trying to be proactive about that. But as encouraged as I was by Virginia and Loudoun County and Glenn Youngkin, and those are great signs and it's great to see parents standing up. 
Uh, it's I, I've used the analogy of parents protesting at school boards is like charging a fortified machine gun nest with Nerf guns. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, we salute your effort, but we're going to bury you all. Yeah. Um, and, and I think back to my own mother who protested at the school board in my you know public school in Minnesota, and she pulled me out of some of the new self-esteem curriculum that was happening and, and values-free education, which is nothing like what we see today. But she was sniffing it out. Great for me. I, I went and did other things with my mother and my father, and we did other curriculum, but nothing changed at the school. Sure. Just like most of these school boards, they'll hear the protests. They want the cameras to go away. They might make one small concession, but ultimately the unions are in charge. The teachers' colleges are in charge. They deny what's in the curriculum, but they put it in the pedagogy, which is how they teach, how the method in which you teach. So I'm for a full-scale abandonment of our of our public education system. Uh, I think it needs. I think patriotic parents need to leave and let them feel that pinch and start our own schools. And I'm I have a quite particular point of view about what those schools can and should look like. But so I, I always step back from what's it going to look like in the next 12 to 24 months mm -hmm. and say we can hold off all we want a little bit. But if we're losing the long war, um, it's all just. You know, then Donald Trump's election was really just hold it back for four years and, and restore, restore some sanity. But what where we're really headed is open borders, climate worship, um, critical race theory, all, all, you know, COVID compliance, no matter what, lockdowns. That, that is, it's been too easy for them to do those things and to get away with it, except for a few places where there's still free independent thought in this country. Um, so I, I, if we use political victories to take back terrain in the educational, cultural, and religious realms of our, of our country, then we have a fighting chance. But if we expect politics to save us, uh, it's over. I mean, as Andrew Breitbart said, politics is downstream of culture. I believe culture is also downstream of faith. We all believe in, and worship something. And, and in, in today's more or less godless society, that's whatever political uh, aspiration or progress the left says. So we're, I mean, we're not, we're not in a good place. I, I will say though, I just had a conversation with a friend a couple of hours ago. He said, but yeah, you look around and you say, hey, Roe v. Wade's about to be extinct, could be, um, thanks to conservative justices. So I do think there's a, a revival of true conservative spirit that will bode well in 22 and 24. The question is, um, could it be Trump? And if it isn't Trump, is it someone who will say, will do what they said they would do, which is all I really want from a representative, is to have courage, speak plainly and boldly, and take on the anti-American left, uh, which is something that he did. Sure. <clears throat> That's amazing. And, you know, you go back in time here and, and yes, I, you know, when you talk about maybe it was uh, Trump coming in and, and hitting the brakes and stopping this uh, from falling apart. Um, it's, it's, I believe that it's a big part of us, um, the patriots, um, the men who have the courage and the women who have the courage to step up um, and make the changes and make the adjustments as we go along. Um, you know, starting a new education system and, and, and schools, I'm all with that. I've been all with that for a very long time. Uh, for a very long time, I think that we need to have that in, in, our, in our society, in our world here. Uh, because uh, education, especially public education nowadays, is very difficult, especially here. I'm in Florida and, and we see that uh, my kids don't go to uh, public schools, but, um, you know, it's 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 bad. It's bad and you're in a place that I would look at you in Florida and say, you're in one of the great places. I'm, yes. I'm here in New Jersey. Yes. Uh, and, you know, so we but even then, Ron DeSantis is having to push bills that would allow parents 100. to do yep. school boards because it's all there. It's all in there. That's right. And and it's and for conservatives and patriots, there were a few, but we've been too busy fighting Islamists and fighting communists and protecting the free market and all these big things for decades that it, that it was education. We just let slip and basically said, well, it's one small cut. That's one small thing. or It's not that big of a deal. Or some of the teachers are patriotic. It's way it's it's much more far gone than that. And, so, Pete, and, and, Peter, I have a question here. Do you think a lot of the people that voted for Biden right now are scratching their head and saying, holy shit, what did I just do? <laughs> I think I do think so, because look at his election strategy. It was effectively I'm not Trump. Um, 
Trump's to blame for COVID. I'm going to fix COVID, which was always garbage, uh, to include denying the vaccines, which were brought to us by Trump. And then I'm going to unify the country um, and heal us all from my basement because I'm not really going to campaign because it's all about pointing at the other guy and saying you're exhausted after four years of him. And oh, by the way, we're going to use COVID to change all the ways in which we vote in this country. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. So that's that's how Biden viewed, that's how he sold himself. Which I don't want to, you know, we can pile on on this, which may or may not have been a strategy Joe Biden was even aware of. Uh, it's it's not clear what his sort of the depth of his cognitive abilities are at this point. So now that he's in the White House, he says, I'm going to go with um, the loudest elements in my party, because if I lose my base, I lose everything. And, you know, thank goodness for President Joe Manchin uh, in the Senate for maintaining some good old com good old uh, West yeah. Virginia common yeah. sense. And for that, we don't have the Green New Deal yet, but they're this, this, this close. Instead, we got an infrastructure bill with 10% actual infrastructure in it. But people look at inflation and they say, what's your solution? Oh, your solution is spend more money. And then people look at uh, the fact that they can't get workers and supply chain shortages. Oh, your solution is to fire the nurses and police officers and other workers who won't get the vaccine or provide even more government assistance to people who are clearly staying at home because they don't have to work. Okay, got it. Or what's your, what's your answer to rising crime in our country? No answer. Uh, mm -hmm. they, I literally haven't heard them say one thing because they can't cross their base by saying something positive about the police. And they've got these radical DAs who keep releasing people. What's your answer about what's going on at the border? I ask Kamala Harris, like I, it, she's in charge, except she's not. <laughs> and we all know the border wall is laying on the ground and our yep. communities are, are overrun. So I do think common sense, patriotic, independent voters who saw themselves as exhausted or saw themselves with another alternative are having massive buyer's remorse. Um, because not only do we see ideology, we see sheer incompetence. I mean, Joe Biden was picked by Barack Obama because he needed, uh, you know, a white guy with foreign policy experience on his ticket. Sure. Joe Biden was never going to win, right? So as Trump says, he picked Biden off the, the trash heap. True. Biden wins the nomination. Who does he pick? A box check pick because he feels like he needs a historic pick in the first black female. Neither of them won or were elected based on their track record of competency. So now you have ideology on top of incoherence uh, and, and there's just absolutely no leadership. And hopefully we don't see things explode on the world stage, but why wouldn't they if you're a foreign adversary right now? So I just, I think there's massive buyer's remorse. And then of course, COVID, they've never been honest about it. They try to pretend like they're gonna squish it down to COVID zero, which they know is not true. And so as it persists, voters are gonna look around and say, just someone be honest with me. And, and, and there's no way they're gonna pass that test. That's why Joe Biden won't run again in 2024. And no one's gonna seriously talk about Kamala Harris being his standard bearer, which is gonna be chaos on the left-wing side. And they denied Bernie twice. Can they deny the socialist wing of their party, the platform again? We'll see. Good points, definitely. So <clears throat> what are your thoughts on how other countries are looking at us right now, especially now China? Um, I just see this president, I see weakness all over him and the way that he represents um, America, the way he represents the United States is just uh, very weak, feeble. Um, and I mean, I think other countries at this point in time, you know, they're looking at us and they're kind of licking their chops and they're saying, you know, United States right now is falling apart. And uh, with a representative like this, I mean, what are your thoughts? Could say it better myself. That's the words I was going to use. They're licking their chops, and they have a they have a recent glaring example of that in our shameful retreat from Afghanistan. I mean, looking at how that unfolded, and then how Biden and company tried to spin it as something positive, while a legacy of twenty years fell apart, and we handed eighty five billion dollars of equipment to Islamists who are exactly who we know they are. So the world looks at that and says, okay, this is the America we're dealing with under Joe Biden. Uh, Xi Jinping, China's calculation is America's obsessed with climate change. Okay, so we'll make a few concessions, but we'll lie about it for sure because we're the biggest polluters in the world. And then we'll we will go headlong into our Belt and Road Initiative, expanding our influence around the globe, co-opting other countries, and then we'll pick precisely the right time, just like they did with Hong Kong, 
to make our moves in Taiwan and elsewhere to show that we are ascendant. Uh, that's no doubt the calculation. The Chinese believe they will be regionally dominant shortly and globally dominant in due time. They also look around at our internal political discourse and say America is a country that no longer believes in itself, uh, that's tearing down its own statues, that's yep. declaring its own new 1619 founding date. You can't defend yourself if you don't believe in yourself. And right. that internal weakness is is glaring. And, and, they, and they, they make that. And then look at Putin, uh, they're going to, these are countries right now effectively saying they want to recapture portions of their country uh, that historically were associated with them, whether it's Taiwan or Ukraine, and that they can make those territorial claims to a country like America, which isn't even guarding our own territory. Uh, and so, and, and certainly uh, isn't, justifiably so, isn't going to send troops to the border in Ukraine when we won't even send troops to our own border or won't send troops to Taiwan. Uh, to defend, not not that I'm saying we should, but why would they believe that we would or ha even have any credible threat? And then you've got Iran. At least under Trump, there were missiles falling on terrorists' heads. Qasem Soleimani died in Baghdad, and it was a bold move. And we killed one of the e most evil men on the planet. They knew he meant business. Kim Jong Un, yep. even though it didn't work, knew Trump meant business. Yes. Fire and fury was a real thing. Uncertainty is a real thing. Uh, the real threat of violence is a real thing. And none of that exists under these globalists uh, who think they can sanction their way. I didn't even mention gas prices on the last answer. People are paying at the pump. I love seeing the stickers of I did this, which I see all the time at gas pumps, no matter what state I'm in. Everybody knows Joe <laughs> Biden too. constricting our energy supply. Yet he's letting Russia pump energy to Germany straight through Ukraine for geopolitical reasons. Like there's, you couldn't make it up if you wanted to bring America down. So this, I actually think the next year, especially post-Olympics, which we shouldn't be participating in, but that's a whole other thing, that this next year is the most vulnerable because he is the closest he'll be to not a lame duck because he's already a lame duck, but without one house of Congress, he's got no hope of passing legislation and he's not running in 2024. So this next year could be, and if you're a, if you're a foreign adversary, you don't want Republicans controlling the gavel of the house or the Senate because of what they might agitate for. So 2022, in my estimation, is the right year to make a move because Democrats are going to wring their hands like this and, and not want to cross the white house and the white house is not, not going to want to do anything. And they'll probably get away with it. And they'll count on international condemnation uh, from the United Nations, which is a farce since the Human Rights Committee of the United Nations includes like Iran and the Sudan. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all a giant joke. Uh, but if America is not strong, the 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 free world as we know it unravels. And and that's the scary part of right now. I saw a clip, um, a YouTube clip a few days ago. Uh, it was uh, some college, uh, I guess it was a college poll regarding um, how they felt about this nation, you know, whether they felt it was exceptional. And, and the numbers that you brought out were 31% of our, of our college kids that were uh, in this particular, I mean, there was what, a thousand, or, or I don't remember, there was a, yeah, there was it was quite like, a, it was a Harvard them. youth poll. Yeah. They do it every year. <clears throat> Although this is the first time they've asked this question, is America exceptional? The thousand kids, you're right, ages 18 to 29 across wow. America, representative sample, 3% uh, error percentage, mm -hmm. and 31% were willing to say that America is an exceptional country. 50% said that um, it, it would be another country, effectively, that's exceptional. That's That hurts. It's jarring. It's, we did a whole 10 minutes on it on, on the show I was hosting because we thought it merited a discussion beyond the shiny object in news of the day. It's if, and I said it before, but it's worth reiterating. If you don't believe in yourself, why would you fight to defend yourself? Sure. Not, and, and, and I'm not talking about far flung wars like post nine 11. I'm saying, you know, existential issues that we face, or if, if you are facing that, you deny their existence because elite media is in bed with places like, China and, and big businesses in bed with China and big techs in bed with China and the MBAs in bed with China. Like there, there's there, too intertangled. The idea of being a patriotic business uh, or, or an American mm -hmm. company sort, sort of gone. And I mean, we saw this in schools, the idea that we're all global citizens, citizens of the world. 
Um, and, and my first book in the arena and, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, he's got his own problems as a progressive and all of that. And, and that's, and I'm clear eyed about that, but he said, citizens of the world are the worst citizens you can possibly have because they care more about somebody else elsewhere more than they do than their own actual families and communities. And you see that virtue signaling from the left all the time. Oh, we care about global citizen, global climate change. Well, what are you doing, you know, about crime? Uh, what are you doing about you know family breakdown? What mm-hmm. are you doing about schools that are failing? You're not doing anything. You're just pumping more money at it. So I, you know, most great empires are not defeated militarily. They commit some form of cultural or economic suicide, and and you've we've seen that before. And the da- most dangerous ingredient that we have right now is the is the belief amongst I would even say conservatives and patriots is the belief that America is inevitable, that like this. This divinely ordained experiment has perpetuated itself and will perpetuate itself and will always be the most powerful and have, that's just not true. History is is replete with evidence and examples of great powers falling. And the challenge of this moment is that there's nowhere else to sail to. It's it's America or bust. And and we're in the process of teaching our kids to hate it. And that white kids are oppressors and black kids are inherently oppressed. Uh, which is about the most racist thing you could talk about. Just And you talk about the 80s and 90s. That's when we grew up. We were right there uh, on Martin Luther King's promise. I grew up in a mostly white community, almost all white community. Mm-hmm. But the only thing I was reiterated and pounded into me is you will never judge someone by the color of their skin. You will judge them by the content of their character. You saw it in law enforcement. I saw it in the military. Um, we were that close to achieving that ideal. And that's why they had to overturn the apple cart and, and turn us against each other again. And that, that's definitely good. Now, look, I want to go back because we, 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 you touched on it just briefly, but I, I really wanted to dive deep into, into this. The withdrawal from Afghanistan. All right? I mean, I've honestly, I, I, the way that he pulled out and just the nonchalantless way and his demeanor, and it was just like, uh, for me, it was beyond normal to, to, to see this and, and to leave this kind of all everything behind like nothing you know what are your thoughts on that let, let, let's talk a little bit about that because that was well, bad yeah you're right i mean i'm dumbfounded the same way you are um i this is the same guy who ends every single speech with may god protect our troops uh and yet when he needed to protect our troops he depended on the taliban as our security and then we got an isis um bombing that killed 13 of ours and injured another couple dozen. Um, and then when we did strike back, we strike the wrong car. Uh, it, it is um, it is a demonstration of a man who doesn't fully internalize American honor and commitment and now has a woke Pentagon. And I mean this truly like a Pentagon more interested in reading, reaching diversity quotas and putting shots in arms and you know, reimagining you know race in the military than they do in combat readiness, and that's not that's because at started under the Obama administration, becoming that politically correct political animal was the way you put put, put stars on your on your shoulder, and it wasn't about. And I saw it. I saw example after example of the guys I served with. The ones who were the war fighters are the ones who got pushed out. The ones who were aggressive break glass in case of war type guys are the ones that washed out and the ones that played the game, the ones that were willing to turn on their own or whatever and check the boxes. They're the ones that made their way up. And yet we expect a ferocious response. They couldn't run away fast enough. It it, it was the overwhelming feeling on the ground. Never was there a moment. I remember watching it all unfold thinking there's got to be a moment where we expand the perimeter and seize the initiative and do something that shows the Taliban like, this is our ground until our last boot leaves. Better not try one thing, which you know it would have been Trump's reflex. And Trump wanted out more than anybody else. He was the one that ran a whole campaign against the neoconservative strand of the Republican Party that let's stop all these interventions. They're not actually working for us and bring the troops home. So he wanted to, but he never, ever, ever would have left the way that we did. And this Pentagon wasn't capable of doing it differently. Joe Biden wasn't capable of seeing the pitfalls of his approach. And they lied about it the entire time to include 
the 100,000 or 120,000 Afghans that are now in our country, most of which were never vetted, most of which, the overwhelming majority of which were not citizens and are not SIV holders, meaning they were never interpreters. So it was all about juicing the numbers and, 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 and ending it, as opposed to following through on our commitment to the allies who actually did stand Shona Bashona and shoulder, shoulder to shoulder with us in Afghanistan. It, it was a sin what they did. And it is a legacy that will reverberate for that, for our generation of vets, but also for the image of our country. Like you don't, at least in a generation, you don't recover from the perception of the incompetence of what unfolded there, considering the menu of options we had other than utter retreat and humiliation, which is what we decided to do. Well, yeah, without a doubt. Um, and, you know, you go back and, and I start trying to figure out, you know, when he talks about a hundred and something thousand, you know, Afghans that you're right. I, 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 there's no way in hell that these guys have been or, or ladies that have been vetted through. You don't know what hit boots on ground here. You know, it's almost like he oh. just grabbed, a, you know, grabbed whoever and let's go, let's take them out. And they're, and they're out there. It was the vets who did it, who, who actually brought the most highly vetted people through were the, were the guys who were in right. touch with their interpreters and others with these networks. Right. And you've heard about them. I've heard about them. I know yep. some of them are, they're the ones that got the cream of the crop across not the State Department, not the Defense Department. Sure. Um, they, they were, and, and I'm not even blaming the commanders on the ground. I mean, these guys are doing the best they can with what they have. It was just horrific um, operational and strategic planning. So let's uh, shift hats here a little bit. As a law enforcement officer and, you know, almost 20 years, uh, most of my career in narcotics undercover, um, did a lot of operations and I was a, police academy instructor for 13 years, um, taught a lot of new cops, definitely um, did I, everything I could. And as a field training officer, I did everything I could to make sure that these cops um, that hit the street were ready. They were ready mentally, they're ready physically. And they knew because, the, you know, especially living in, in a city, uh, working in a city that I worked, you know, very, very violent city. Um, they needed to be ready. Now, one of the reasons that I started this movement, Man of War, was because um, I started seeing weakness in men coming through the mm. police academy. Okay. Um, and they just didn't have a strong mindset. We were graduating recruits that, for the most part, they were not ready to attack the streets. And, you know, that's one of the, you know, I can go on and on, but that's one of the reasons I left the academy, got poly, mm -hmm. you know. So, how is the military right now as far as training, as far as? Um, you know, I could speak from the law enforcement side, definitely softer. Uh, we did away for with uh, DIs. We did away with all the, the hardcore things that, I don't know, the military, you know, I'm not familiar with it as far as their training regimen and, and how they're building, you know, soldiers. But, you know, men that are in, in our group, you know, they talk about it all the time that it's not what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Definitely softer. Uh, I mean, there's just... Just no doubt about it. I, I bet you're familiar with the uh, Dave Grossman books on combat oh, yes. and on killing. Yes. And I, I had a brigade commander before I went to Iraq in 2005, uh, Colonel Michael Steele, who had been a uh, captain with the Army Rangers in Mogadishu. And that's the Army Rangers of the, what was that, mid 90s? I can't, you know, that Army Rangers, as tough as they get in a tough environment. And what he saw there in that was that his men were not prepared for the realities, the horror of combat and of killing. And you, you can train for it, but psychologically, you have to be prepared. And so when we mobilized to Iraq, and I'll tell you this, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it either. I mean, it was, it was the kind of wake-up call that I needed. Sure. And it was mandatory reading to read that and to understand that and infuse that kind of ethos into a military even then. Uh, that was heavily um, lawyerized, mm -hmm. rules of engagement heavily emphasized. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it just, and that's not even the training aspect, because I think there's some units, elite units that still train as hard as they ever have. Mm -hmm. But throughout the force, <clears throat> yeah, from basic training to emphasis of training to lowering of standards, they always said if you, if you let you know, if we bring women into combat arms, we're not, we're not going to lower the standards. Well, what, of course, what happens? 
they lower the standards over time because they want to serve because some colonel or some general somewhere needs to meet a quota. And it, it just always goes that, that way. You know how big bureaucracies operate. No so the whole dynamic of brotherhood breaks down inside some of these units and the training just becomes different in its emphasis and, and amount and ferocity. So, and, and to me, I, what I saw in, 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 in combat was the extent to which lawyers and politicians inserted themselves, created almost an excuse to not do the types of aggressive patrolling or combat operations that otherwise our leaders knew we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so it, it's the wrong answer from the top, but it's an easy excuse for the, for the guy who's about to lead a squad out on patrol to say, well, what if we get hung up? And that's got to be the same thing you see in law enforcement right now. Why in the world am I going to put my ass on the line when I know what's, that the cascading effects are that and I want to go home at the end of the day? And that just creates a hesitant environment, which obviously creates yes. more risk for everybody yes. involved. The yes. combatants and the non-combatants. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only people in power in that equation are the insurgents or the criminals. Yes. Pick your context. And, yes. and so, yes, I mean, we're just, but it goes back to the point of what you're doing with this podcast. If we're not forging men, if we're not forging courage, and I know that as wonderful as my upbringing was, it wasn't forged in me. I mean, I, my dad was a basketball coach and he was great. And he forged it into me through basketball, which I, which I, threw my life into and I played college basketball and I sat on the bench for four years and they beat the crap out of me. That wasn't even close to preparing me for what going into the military, being forged as a warrior, dealing with the adversity, only coming through that and living that showed me what courage and actual fortitude and violence of action really means and looks like and should and needs to be translated into us as civilians as we fight for our civil liberties not kinetically, uh, but as as free citizens who should be able to boldly stand up and proclaim what we believe in. Uh, so to bring it back to the military, though, it's look at these training videos that are coming out. Look at these promotional videos about, you know, what your ethnic background is or what your gender this. It's like none of that has to do with combat readiness. And they sell us the lie that this sort of diversity is not never intellectual diversity is what is our strength. No, our strength in blue or in green is our unity around our mission and our commitment to our country or our communities that we share a small percentage, 1% share. That's what makes us special is that unity, that dedication to that, not how different we are, what God we worship or what bathroom we go into. That's supposed to be irrelevant when it comes to the mission we share together. Yet we emphasize the things that are supposed to divide us and it only makes us weaker and, and our, our communities more vulnerable. Without a doubt, now, from a police officer's perspective, you know, you go back in time and, you know, there was some time, there was a little bit of, at, at the very least, when I first started, you know, there was some, some type of uh, respect for a police officer, you know, yeah. most people looked, looked at him or, or her as, as, you know, a respect factor, you know, most of the time it was, yes, sir. You know, as it progressed over the last couple of years, as we started trending down, it just became, well, I can't tell you how many times my, my patrol car was, you know, they spit on my patrol car, they spit on me. I, uh, I mean, I can't even tell you the times over the last seven or eight months uh, that that happened. I just retired recently a few months ago. And, um, it was just, you know, very, very difficult. Um, you know, Brandon Tatum, I, I'm sure you know him, yeah. uh, you know, we sat down, he was on the podcast, we had a conversation and it's just, you know, the same thing goes the, the way that the media started to portray police officers and, and in our homeland here and the tough job that they had to do, it's it, it just beyond me how, um, just people can believe anything that they hear. So I, I want to I want to go into this here because now CNN is getting smoked okay, with everything that's happening there. And you start seeing that a lot of this, you know, was being put out there, was being put out there wrongly, it was being put out there in a way that, you know, in, in my opinion, you know, some of these guys need to go to jail, bad stuff. And our society starts absorbing that. And then now they start realizing that they were what they were listening to, that what they were watching is all a bunch of crap. 
You know, what are yeah. your th- what are your thoughts on how people, you know, they assimilate these these news networks and these medias that are constantly bombarding baloney and they just believe that because they feel that it's the best belief system for them because they don't want to start believing the hard truths. Hmm. They'd rather just kind of lean this way. It's a little bit easier. Uh, they don't want to go into that discomfort land. <clears throat> Talk to me about that. Yeah. Uh, first of all, you're exactly right. <clears throat> um, it was, you know, the bias of the nightly news networks became uh, the agenda of our of, of the climate basically before Trump. There was clearly a leftist agenda has now become full on activism. Uh, and it is it is left wing activism splashed across your screen, much of which exposed by the fact that Donald Trump called them what no one else would call them, which is fake news and the enemies of free people uh, because of that, the, the way in which they distort what's well, not just what they cover, but it's what they don't cover. And when sure. you have buildings burning behind you, yet reporters saying this is a mostly peaceful protest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but then you go from that to Kyle Rittenhouse, and then you go from that to uh, Mm -hmm. Jesse Smollett, and then you go from that to the Covington kids, and then you go from that to the Russia hoax, and then pick your example. Here's the thing, though. We keep asking the question, well, when are they going to apologize, or when are they going to change, or when are they going to get their Pulitzer back, or at some point, they're going to have to retract these things, and this is what we're missing with activism. See, that may be in the bias world you would have gotten that, or maybe even in the agenda world you would mm-hmm, have gotten mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. For activists, see, those falsehoods served their purpose when they were useful. That, that was the narrative they needed at the moment to trash the guy they didn't like. Didn't matter whether it was true. Didn't matter whether they did the journalistic work to find out whether it was true. They're just going to take it from their reliable insider mm-hmm. leaked sources you know, Colonel Colonel Vindman's a hero for leaking, yet Stu Scheller is thrown in prison for speaking truth about Afghanistan, right? I mean, sure. so it's, it, it, it's, they've picked their team and their team has nothing to do with truth and everything to do with agenda. And frankly, it's why their ratings are absolutely in the tank and, and why, why they're, they're, they're failing so quickly is because they have been exposed for that sheer activism. Whereas, at Fox, like my job is not to stand in front of somebody and say, oh, I'm a journalist. Just I'm just giving it to you straight. I'm, mm-hmm. No, I've been very clear. I'm not a journalist. I have sure, an opinion. Sure. I have a view. These are my beliefs. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. Turn the channel if you don't like it. Go somewhere else if you have a different view. Same approach you take with the podcast. Of course. That, that's all I want from somebody. But this whole idea that a newsman is going to play it straight for me and that I'm going to believe that they're unbiased, those days are, those days are gone. And, and I'm glad they're gone. Because they were always false, but from all the way back to Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw, uh, they were they were crafting the news that was beneficial to the guys in the White House with D's next in their name that they wanted to defend. Um, and it's just it's it's just how it's always been. We just know about it even more ferociously now. And to your point about cops, by the way, thank you for everything you've done over the course of your career. And I mean that sincerely. And I mean it sincerely when I say there is no more difficult job in America today, especially in certain places, more than others. But then to be a law enforcement officer, uniformed out there doing that job, because I'll say this, because of Vietnam vets, Iraq and Afghanistan vets were treated properly when they came home Uh, because of the sins of what was done to Vietnam vets. Vietnam vets turned around and said, never again will that happen. We're going to embrace you and ensure that it doesn't. And the country sort of collectively, uh, you know, was trying to make up for what had been done to them. You guys are getting the Vietnam treatment right now. Police officers are getting that. You are the enemy. There's no reason why that couldn't yet again become a reaction to the military 10, 15, 20 years from now if there's an unpopular war and guys are coming home and the left is in charge. We are not beyond uh, retreating back to that particular perspective. You guys are living it right now. It's an absolute, I mean, it's a sin. um, And we're losing some of the best, as you know, and it's incredibly difficult to recruit, as you know. Uh, which only makes their situation more difficult. And all you want, I know this from the military, you just want a boss that has your back. You just want uh, a DA that's not going to let criminals out time and time again, so you don't have to fight it time and time again. Like, you want to do your job, just let me do my job. And and 100. this whole canard that you're a racist and your part department is systemically racist. Like, <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows it's a lie. Half the departments that are deemed to be systemically racist are run by black police chiefs, yet the whole sure. thing is so, somehow uh, systemically racist. It's all a sham. And we're, we're bearing the fruits of it right now with 
all the crime that's happening across the country. I, I think to go back to our part of our previous conversation, I think people are waking up to that and saying, you know, my life, is, I don't want to have to lock my house at night and wonder, you know, what happens next. Love it, man. I can sit here and talk hours with you. You're a like-minded man. I appreciate you. Let's talk real quick about this book here, Modern Warriors. What yeah. inspired you to write this book here? Well, I'll tell you this. The, the book was inspired out of a series mm -hmm. uh, that we do on Fox Nation, same name, Modern Warriors. And the, the idea of Modern Warriors is to sit down, like in a bar-like setting, well, like you would do with cops and like I do with the military, where you drop the pretenses and you just shoot the shit. And when guys are really telling the stories with people mm -hmm. that they're comfortable with, you yeah, get yeah. the real story, right? Sure, sure. And I hit, what happened was, you know, on Fox and Friends and the other shows, we do these great segments with a Medal of Honor recipients or great people, and you get three and a half minutes, you know, and you right. can't scratch yeah. the surface with three and a half I minutes. So there was one day I was in New York. I had just gotten to meet Rob O'Neill, the guy who shot Bin Laden. And I was like, dude, let's go. Can we get a beer? And so we went to the bar next door to Fox. And what was supposed to be two beers in 20 minutes turned into, you know, 10 beers in three hours or whatever. And I heard the whole story of the Bin Laden raid, all the other Captain Phillips, all the other stuff that he was a part of. And I was like, man, I'd pay, you know, a lot of money to get a chance. I mean, it's unbelievable to have this kind of access and hear this kind of story. We should do something that at least brings a sliver of those types of stories to Americans so they can see behind the scenes what vets talking to vets sounds like and how honest they are about what they face their you know, courage Not and fear and brotherhood all that so we did a bunch of um you know, we, we're still doing it uh we do them you know every couple of months we do a modern warrior series based on you know new news that's that's going on and other aspects sure. of, of and at one point we just said this is a book you know there's so many of these guys that have done amazing things and i think people would love to hear it and so it was the easiest thing ever you just sit down and talk to them have them tell their stories and that's the point is meant to be kind of a conversational book where you're in in their story with them. And it did pretty well. So we appreciate all the people that took a look at it. For you guys that are watching this um, on video, great book, highly recommend it. Um, I read it in three days. Uh, you guys know that I read a lot and um, definitely one of those books that I have uh, with me. Uh, here in my office and at home. I got two copies of this and, and it's a great book. I appreciate um, that. You guys um, definitely need to, to get your hands on that. It's called Modern Warriors. And of course, we'll have a link on the uh, bio and everything here with our show notes, uh, a link directly to this book and uh, some YouTube clips, uh, pizza YouTube clips so you can follow him. Do you have an Instagram or? or, or um... I do, yeah, Instagram. <laughs> I got kicked off Twitter a long time ago, but uh, it's... <laughs> It's uh, at Pete Hegseth on Instagram. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. All right. Cool. So I'll put that on the, on the show notes and everything. That. Listen, Pete, man, it's been uh, an honor to, to speak with you here. Uh, you're definitely an energetic guy. Um, you say it how it is. Uh, you stand tall for our country. You're a patriot. We need more warrior minded men like yourself. Um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I really believe you're doing God's work. And uh, we, need to for for you guys that are first watching this and don't know who peter pete is you need to go out there and and, and watch him um you're on the weekend right with uh, yep. fox, and, fox friends. and friends weekend 6 to yeah. 10 a.m saturday and sunday early but yeah go go watch it man good stuff without a doubt if you're a patriot um this guy will uh, rub shoulders with you and walk into hell man no doubt about it uh thank you for being on and uh, really appreciate appreciate your time here pete well, Rafa, thank you. Uh, count me in on the Mutual Admiration Society. I, men like you are carrying the fight, and I, I really appreciate everything you do. Keep at it, and let's do it again. Thank you, brother.